Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, we studied one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73. This morning, we're going to study another one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 90. So if you have your, your Bible, you can uh, open up there. And earlier this year, I, I uh, read through a book uh, called uh, The Fourth Turning by William Strauss and Neil Howe. And it's an interesting uh, book. And in that book, they kind of put a, a framework uh, onto life that caught my attention. He said that the, the, the human life usually kind of works through uh, four different uh, seasons of life or four kind of generational uh, cycles of, of about 20 years each. And the authors kind of said that, that the, the spring of life, uh, or those first uh, 20 years, uh, is when we are uh, born and kind of growing into maturity, reaching uh, adulthood. Uh, and we're going to be uh, growing and kind of being uh, equipped uh, for the remainder of our lives during that time. Then from, from 20 to, to 40 years old is what they call the summer of life, uh, where, where you, are, uh, you are planting, you're, you are working uh, diligently, sowing for the future, gaining uh, expertise in your uh, chosen uh, career, uh, building a family. And then there's the, the autumn of life. 40 to, to 60 years old, uh, where in essence you are uh, in that time reaping the harvest of what you planted uh, during those summer years. Uh, that uh, Children uh, at that point uh, are uh, moving f- uh, from their own spring of life into the summer of life. So your children are, are growing up and, and leaving the nest, and then uh, you're there in, in the autumn of, of life reaping the harvest of all of, that you have worked for and labored for. And you begin to, to pour back into... Uh, earlier generations. Then there's kind of the, the winter of life from uh, from 60 to uh, to 80 years old, or 80 plus. Uh, and at that point in time, uh, you are the, the the elder statesman. You are those pouring back into the younger generations. You are those providing uh, leadership, uh, and to a certain extent, you are you are living off uh, what you have uh, planted and harvested earlier in life. Now, this whole framework kind of caught my attention, uh, and um, it was sobering, because I'm uh, 37, uh, and as my boys would say, and a half, uh, you know, if you're counting in kid, kid numbers, uh, and um, sobering to, to think about, because it's kind of 37 and a half, uh, I, I'm getting closer and closer to that, uh, to that third season of life. And getting closer and closer to the autumn of life, and I just realized, like, if I live to be 75, I'm halfway there. What season of life are you in right now? It's not something that you you probably think about often, especially if you're young. Right? If you're in the uh, the, the spring of life, uh, it feels like you probably live forever. De- death is is way way at the end of the horizon. Uh, and if you're in the, the early portion of the summer of life, uh, you are probably impatient, right? You want all of those things that you see your your parents having. I always tell young couples, like, you're, you are not going to have the same uh, level of uh, financial security as your parents, right? You're, you're in the early stages of the summer, uh, and they're in the, probably the, the, the middle stages of the, the autumn, of the harvest. It's not going to be the same. But this is worthy of our thoughts. We need to think about 
death? Do we need to think about how much time we have here on the earth? Do we need to think about what happens after death? A few weeks ago, we, so we've been reading through Ecclesiastes in the, the, the scripture reading portion of the, our worship service. We read through Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 4. King Solomon writes, Better is a good name than good oil, and better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of all mankind. And the living puts this in his heart. Better is vexation than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the heart of fools is in the house of gladness. And now King Solomon wrote that in, in the, the winter of his own life, as he reflected back on all of his uh, pursuits, all of his uh, attempts at finding joy and satisfaction and meaning in life. And Ecclesiastes is a, a wonderful book uh, to read through at the beginning of the year. What should I pursue this year? Not that, not that, not that, not that. And what does Solomon conclude at the end of the book? What should we do? We should fear God and keep his commandments. And uh, this morning, as, as we study Psalm 90, uh, we're going to uh, hear from a, another man uh, who, I guess, according to this uh, generational framework of 20-year periods of life, he's like writing this in uh, the, the, would it be the summer of his next life, because he lived to be 120. So th- this is a psalm written by Moses uh, at the end of his life. He had a long winter. And... Uh, Psalm 90, this is, this is the oldest psalm in, uh, in the Psalter. And he's going to write this psalm, this, this reflection upon life, uh, probably it would, in the, the context of Numbers chapter 20. If you're, if you're familiar with that chapter, uh, a lot happens in that chapter. Uh, the, the, uh, the nation of Israel is, is close to entering into uh, the promised land. But they... Uh, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Moses' sister Miriam dies. After wandering in, in the wilderness for all of those years, she dies. Uh, so I think Moses and, and Aaron are in, uh, in uh, experiencing some emotions. Uh, but when the, the people of Israel run out of water again, uh, and God says, okay, go and, and speak to the rock uh, and provide water for them, rather than doing that, Moses and Aaron uh, go and, and they strike the rock. Uh, and they rebuke the people. And God's evaluation of that, and his, his evaluations are always more important than man's evaluations. God says, you treated me as unholy in front of the entire congregation of Israel. Uh, and the consequence of that was after all of those years of wandering and looking forward to entering into the promised land, Moses and Aaron would not be allowed in. So by the end of that chapter, Aaron is dead. Uh, and by the end of that chapter, we're getting closer and closer to, to the, the final time period of Moses' life. He's got about a month left in which he's going to write Deuteronomy, and then he's going to go on top of Mount Nebo at the end of Deuteronomy, and he's, he's going to die. And uh, the words there make it clear that his life was taken by the Lord because it says his, his eye was not dimmed, uh, and uh, he was still healthy. 120 years old uh, and uh, in full health. And he dies there, not being able to enter into the promised land. 
And so Moses is reflecting upon 120 years of life, and he's thinking deeply about the nature of God, the nature of man, and about the reality of time. And in this psalm, he's going to to compare uh, the eternal God with mortal man. Then he's going to come to certain conclusions about this life. And as we read and study this psalm this morning, we're going to be confronted, uh, number one, with our own mortality. Number two, also with our own sinfulness. Uh, and, and these twin truths need, us, need to, to lead us to evaluate our lives. These twin truths should lead us uh, to crying out to God to transform our hearts, to reorient our priorities in life. This psalm is, is made up of 17 verses, and I would divide it up into to two parts. The first 11 verses are going to, to ask and answer the question, how should we reflect upon the brevity of life? If life is uh, this short, how, how should I uh, think about that? And the last six verses are going to be how, how should we respond to the brevity of our lives? And these are, these are going to be the essential questions that, that Moses wants the people of Israel and us to contemplate before we get to the end of life. All of these questions that Moses is wrestling with, these are all questions that we all must answer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to lead us and guide us as we study these words that He has given to us through His prophet Moses. Father, we, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your prophet Moses, who has wrestled uh, with these questions 3,500 years ago. Lord, help us to wrestle uh, with these same realities. Help us to be instructed uh, by your holy and perfect wisdom recorded for us here in these words. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to arrive at the same conclusions that Moses arrived at. Help us to look to you in faith, to trust in you, and to serve you all of our days. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as as we look through uh, this first portion of the psalm, uh, how should we reflect upon the brevity of life? In in this section, again, Moses is going to think deeply about God, man, and about time. Uh, and uh, the word uh, for time uh, is going to be used uh, 24 times in these 17 verses. Uh, that's going to be a, a main emphasis here uh, as Moses is going to uh, make this contrast between God and man in relationship to time. Uh, and in uh, these first 11 verses, we're going to see three general, general reflections made by Moses. Uh, the first reflection is going to be seen in verses 1 and 2 where he's going to reflect upon the eternality of God. If you look with me at those verses, uh, the, the title uh, of the, uh, the psalm, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God, it says, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so Moses begins his reflections uh, upon the, the character of God. And he says, God existed before the mountains. Uh, God existed uh, uh, before the, the most steadfast and immovable objects in all of creation. And uh, he writes here 
uh, that, that God uh, is uh, the dwelling place of Israel. Uh, and he has been their dwelling place uh, uh, through all generations. And again, think of the, the context of who Moses is writing to. Uh, at the end of his life, he's writing to the second generation of Israel. Because the, the first generation that came out of Egypt at that Passover, uh, they, were all, uh, they died in the wilderness because they rebelled against God. So uh, Moses is writing to the second generation uh, who has seen the first generation die off. Uh, and when you're in the wilderness, what are you living in? Tents. Now, you are moving from place to place, living in a tent. Doesn't that sound like fun, right? But let's live in a tent for 40 years. And then Moses comes and says, who is their dwelling place? God. He has been their dwelling place through all generations. Uh, going back uh, from eternity past to the very first generation in Adam and Eve. It says God has been the dwelling place of believers at all times. That he is our dwelling place even now. He alone is eternal. And, and before uh, Moses even, uh, even reflects upon the, the brevity of man's life, he's going to give us the solution to the problem going to point to uh, the fact of God's eternality. And that is our hope. One uh, commentator says, This opening of the psalm corresponds to the close, and that God is seen here as our God, whose eternity is the answer, not simply the antithesis, to our homelessness and our brevity of life. And the fact that God is eternal gives us hope because He is, he is able uh, to rescue us in our mortality. Uh, we are frail and finite, but there is hope because our God is from everlasting to everlasting. We're all going to die one day, but that's just fine because God is eternal and He is our dwelling place. And after contemplating the eternality of God, Moses then turns his thoughts to, to the mortality of man. Verses 3 through 6. He says, You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night, and you have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning it blossoms and sprouts anew. Toward evening it withers away and dries up. So in verse 3 we see God speaking to man uh, and ordering him back to the dust. Uh, which is really speaking of a, uh, an appointed time for death. Genesis 3 talks about God creating uh, Adam from uh, the dust of the earth. Uh, and so in, in pointing back to the dust, we're, uh, we're returning to our original uh, state. God breathed life into us and he will uh, at one point take life out of us. Uh, and all of our days are in his hands. Moses is reflecting upon that, but... Verse 4 shows us that while our lives move forward according to hours and days and years, God is not bound by time. He is outside of time. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Uh, this is uh, similar to what uh, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, eight, uh, that, that uh, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Moses reflects upon uh, God being outside of time, but we, uh, as human beings, are bound by time. Verses 5 and 6, Moses thinks upon how easily God is able to sweep man aside. 
and how he might allude to, to sweeping aside n- nearly all of the men in, in the global flood of, of Noah's day. You have swept them away like a flood and they fall asleep. He also compares man to the grass of the field that, that flourishes and, and perishes uh, in the same day. And, and Moses is, is not speaking uh, or exaggerating here. He's not speaking in hyperbole. Uh, and this would have been something that that generation who grew up in the desert would have seen on a regular basis. That in uh, uh, the, the arid uh, climate of the, the desert, there's sometimes an occasional uh, night rain or, or a dew uh, in the evening uh, would cause a, a small carpet of grass uh, to sprout up overnight. So in the morning, there would be this thin layer of grass. But by the end of the day, as that grass sat underneath the heat uh, of the desert sun... That grass would wither away literally in one single day. That's that's discouraging, isn't it? Like, God, why couldn't you compare us to to cedars or or redwoods or sequoia trees? Well, because we are not like cedars or redwoods or sequoia trees. We are like the grass uh, that is able to to sprout up uh, and then be uh, to die and wither and be blown away. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, a voice says, call out. And then he answered, what shall I call out? That all flesh is grass and all its loving kindness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of Yahweh blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Love the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. It says, here is the history of the grass. Sown, grown, blown, mown, gone. And the history of man is not much more. Unless the Lord returns in our lifetimes, we will all one day face death. Even as Moses describes it here. And I don't say that to be morbid. It's, it's something that you need to think about. Death is inescapable. We have to prepare for it, each and every one of us. We, we need to reflect upon that. Happy New Year, right? Even if it feels far off, even, even if death seems way, way down the road, well, we have to begin to think about it. And uh, if, you, if you listen to any portion of history prior to our own, you realize uh, the brevity of life even... Uh, for those of you in the spring and the summer of life. Over the course of this last year, I listened to a lot of uh, history about the, the New England Puritans and those who, who came over seeking to establish uh, colonies uh, here in the uh, Americas. Uh, and it was amazing how many uh, families came over and how many children were had. Some people, their families would have sometimes uh, 11 kids. What was remarkable is how if there was a family of 11 kids, it would say, but six of them survived childhood. Six of them grew into adulthood. And sometimes it wasn't even that ratio. Sometimes it was a lot higher, sometimes it was fewer. But it was uh, during that period of time, it was unlikely for all of the children in a family to reach maturity in adulthood. Sobering. We need to think about our own mortality. And if we think about our own mortality, the natural thought then that follows after that, well, if I am one day going to die, what happens after that? 
Right? And, and if I'm one day going to die and there is an eternal God, then I'm going to have to go stand in front of, then what's going to happen? What is he going to ask me? What is he going to think of me? What's going to happen when I stand before an infinite, eternal, and holy God as a finite, mortal, and sinful man? That's where Moses' thoughts then turn in his third reflection. Verses 7 through 11. It says, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. And as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to might, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and wickedness. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Now, if you look at verse 7, Moses begins this reflection upon the mortality of, of man. He, he kind of gives a, a chiasm. Uh, there's a, a kind of a, a mirroring pattern here. For we have been consumed by your anger. So he works into the focus upon the anger of God, then he works back out. And by your wrath, uh, we have been uh, dismayed, and the idea of uh, being uh, consumed is the idea of being brought to an end. We are finished. We are spent. And being dismayed, we are uh, horrified. We are overwhelmed. The curse of sin and its consequences. Death is a result of sin. Death is a result of the curse. Therefore, a manifestation of God's wrath. But verse 8, why is God angry with us? Well, because he is, he's aware uh, of every thought and every deed. Every word, every action is intimately, uh, he, is, he is aware of it and acquainted with it. Uh, I think uh, the author of Hebrews is building on top of Moses' words here. Hebrews 4.13. He says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. God is aware of our secret sins. There's no hiding anything that we've said or done or even thought from God. That is why His anger rests upon us. Verse 9, all our days pass away under the wrath of God. It's interesting in verse 7, it says that that God's anger brings us to an end. In verse 9, it says that uh, we bring our years to an end. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. That says man is, is mortal because he acts immorally. We face death because we are sinners. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says, this is a profound set of statements. Not only has Moses set the weakness of man and the shortness of his life against the grandeur and eternity of God, he has also traced man's mortality to its roots. Seeing death as a judgment for sin, we might think that we would uh, contrast man's sin with God's holiness, just as he has contrasted man's mortality with God's eternity. Instead, he is trying to show that death is linked to sin and is caused by it. 
we die because Adam sinned and because we sin ourselves. Now, the world around us is, is constantly uh, bombarding us with, with messages. It is constantly uh, preaching to us uh, a way of viewing the world uh, and interpreting the world around us. And one of the most uh, consistent messages of the world uh, is that you will be happy if you pursue sin. That, that is the true way of finding happiness in life, pursue sin. Now, it doesn't come out and say it in those words, right? You don't see a commercial uh, on the football game like, hey, you'll be happy if you pursue sin. But they don't word it in that way. Instead, they, they frame it in a different way. Messages abound such as follow your heart. Just be yourself. Don't let anybody stop you. And that message uh, resonates within our, our hearts and minds and in our own culture. And why? Because we and our hearts are sinful. right? And so when, when the world is encouraging us to do what we already want to do, it gives us an excuse. As sinners, we live for the enjoyment of the moment. Right? And that's what, what sin promises. Sin promises uh, momentary pleasure, uh, and it doesn't want you to, to think beyond that momentary pleasure. But sin's, sin brings forth death. You might be familiar uh, in, in Greek mythology, the, the story of King Midas. King Midas had uh, the, the power uh, that everything that he touched would be turned to gold. Uh, and when he first got that, that power, uh, he, was, he was so excited uh, as he touched uh, flowers and, and they turned into gold and he touched other things. And he's like, man, I'm going to be so rich. That sounds, this sounds amazing. But then he went to eat. And his bread turned to gold. And he picked up his his cup to drink, and his wine turned to gold. A later version says, later on, when he attempted to comfort his daughter, he, he reached out and, and touched her, and she turned to gold. See, what he, he initially wanted was, was the pleasures that gold would bring. He could be infinitely rich. Whatever he wanted touched, uh, turned to gold. But it ended up that he would kill everything that he touched. That's, that's the promise of sin. The promise of, of momentary pleasure, momentary joy. And then it ultimately leads to death. That's what sin does. It promises life, but it brings death. It promises joy, but it really brings sorrow. Sin destroys dreams. It ruins relationships. It holds hostage our health. It eventually kills us body and soul. But we don't think or reflect upon this reality. Verse 10 says that, that man will live 70 years, and some of us might even make it to 80. Some of us might make it to the end of winter. Hopefully, each of you here at some point during this message is, is doing a little bit of math. Calculating how much time do I have left? What season am I in? Where am I? But no matter how much time you think you have, or you may actually have, all of those years go by so fast. So fast. Moses adds one final reflective thought. Verse 11. 
says, Who knows the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? Really a powerful question that Moses is asking. Right? Who, who fears God as they ought to? Who understands the, the eternal holiness of God and our uh, frailty our finiteness, our sinfulness, who understands all of that rightly and then fears God as we should? It's a big question. Have you contemplated it? Have, have you thought about that? Do you fear God as you ought to? I pray that you are humbled by that thought. I know I am. It's easy to get... Uh, caught up in all of the, the day-to-day activities, all of those pressing things, all of those little kids that need something. It's easy to, to lose sight of the bigger picture. How fast life is moving past. And how few thoughts we direct towards God. But Moses wants us to come to uh, see uh, that God is holy. And that we can never rightfully stand before God in our own efforts. Right? God is eternal. Man is mortal. God, or man, is sinful. So after contemplating and reflecting upon the nature of God and and man and the brevity of life, Moses then begins to think of the implications of these truths. How should he respond to uh, these truths? He does this in verses 12 to 17. How should we respond to the brevity of life? If you look with me at those verses. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Return, O Yahweh, how long will it be? And be sorry for your slaves. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. And let your work appear to your slaves and your majesty to their sons. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Now, now in these verses, uh, Moses is really going to fire off eight, eight prayer requests. Uh, he's going he's gonna to shoot them off to God uh, in uh, close uh, order. Uh, and really, they're going to fall under uh, four larger requests. And you have them there uh, on, your, uh, on your outline. Uh, the, the first of these requests is found in verse 12. And it's really a prayer for wisdom. It says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to, to understand and evaluate the brevity of our life and to invest the time uh, to the greatest benefit of, for ourselves and for others and to the glory of God. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 is going to say something similar. Paul says, therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He's going to say something similar in Colossians 4, verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. So though our days are few, we need to pray that God would teach us how to use them wisely. We've all had those uh, moments where we have realized that we have wasted time, usually on our phones or in front of some other screen. Uh, And uh, we need to consider 
how we waste time and how we need to wisely use time. Now, and there's a purpose to this prayer. Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we, so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So when we stand before God, do we want to look back and see that we have walked in wisdom with a wise heart? Or do we want to look back and see we have walked foolishly? We have wasted our lives on, on worthless pursuits. Things that will not matter in the scope of eternity. And that's the first prayer request that Moses gives. Is Lord, give us wisdom to number our days. Then the, the, the second and third request that, that Moses uh, offers up to God really are our prayers for, for mercy. It says, return, O Yahweh, how long will it be? And be sorry for your slaves. The ESV says, have pity on your servants. And this is, this is similar to, to verse 3. Right? In, in verse 3, we saw God speaking to man, and God was saying to man, return to the dust. Uh, and now, uh, we have man speaking to God, saying, have mercy, have compassion uh, upon your people. Have pity on us. Don't send us back to the earth as dust. Then uh, in uh, verses 14 and 15, there's two more requests that we could lump together. Uh, and uh, could say this is, a, this is a plea, this is a prayer for satisfaction. It says, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. And make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. And Moses picks up the theme of in the morning back from verses 5 and 6 when he talked about uh, the grass springing up in the morning and then being gone by the evening. So uh, here Moses is praying for, for satisfaction that leads to rejoicing. Right? Even though life is, is brief, uh, he's saying, God, please give us joy and satisfaction. And he says, in essence, make us glad for the same amount of time that you have uh, made uh, us sorrowful. And again, this would have tremendous meaning to those uh, who are there in the second generation of Israel because they grew up and been walking through the desert for 40 years. So Moses is praying for 40 years of blessings. Like all of the days that we've been sorrowful and wandering in the desert, uh, may that be the same number of years that you satisfy us and make us glad in the promised land. It's an amazing prayer. Then the final three requests, verses 16 and 17, are really... Uh, a prayer for purpose, for meaning. To show us your work and your power. Show us your favor. Establish our work. And that's repeated twice for emphasis. And again, this is that, that crowning contrast. Because what, what was Moses reflecting earlier in the psalm? Right? The, the brevity of human life. It's here and it goes. Uh, but then he, here Moses is saying, but God, you are able to lead us and guide us, to lead uh, us to build and use our time wisely so that what we have worked for and labored for in this life extends beyond us. That is here for our children and our children's children. And ultimately, uh, all of those things uh, that will last beyond us are ultimately going to be God's work. So those things that we do in obedience to God are going to have His blessing and they are going to endure. The things that we do for us, for ourselves, in our flesh, for our own satisfaction, our own joy, those are fleeting. Those aren't going to last. 
God's work and God's blessing are the only things that endure the generations of men. And Moses' prayer is for the Lord to guide him and his people to those things that will endure. Help us to focus upon the right things, the things that will truly matter for eternity. Back in 2018, I saw a story about a young couple uh, who, who sold all of their uh, possessions uh, to purchase a, a 28-foot sailboat uh, so that they could uh, leave behind their lives in Colorado and, and sail around the world. Sounds romantic when you're in Colorado, maybe uh, the open ocean. But uh, they, they set out from a, uh, a marina just outside of Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, and uh, their journey lasted uh, 25 miles in two days. And uh, at that point in time, the bottom of their boat struck an unseen object under the shallow waters near a, a popular tourist destination, and, and their, their boat sank in 20 minutes. And all that they were left with was their, their two-year-old dog, their social security cards, a mobile phone, some dog food and clothes. All of their earthly possessions. The, the young couple uh, had, had worked and they had uh, saved for two years to purchase and restore that boat. The Coast Guard came said, if you want us to, to pull this boat up from the water, it's going to cost $10,000. They emptied out their pockets, and I think they, they had about $90 to their name. Everything that they had worked and labored for, gone, 20 minutes. Think about what, what that felt like standing on uh, the land, or maybe they were in another smaller boat, uh, just, just watching all of that go down. And they saw it go down in, in 20 minutes, but... We don't want to end our lives or come to that winter of life and look back and realize all of the things that we should have planted, all of the, all of the seeds that we sh- should have sown so that we could harvest later in life. Uh, and not only to harvest later in life, but to harvest in eternity. Because it's really hard to, uh, to, realize, to undo what you should have done in the past. And it doesn't mean that you can't be faithful from this point forward. But there's a reality. We can't, we can't go back in time. Again, is a sobering thought. So Moses, Moses gives these, these four prayers. After all of his reflections and meditations, and he cries out to God for four things, right? Wisdom, mercy, satisfaction, and purpose meaning in life. And each of those prayers is answered through faith in Christ. That, that, is, the, that is the solution. Uh, Moses didn't have uh, a name for us when he wrote, but he told us what we ought to be longing for. Uh, and the, the New Testament uh, upholds Christ uh, as the source of all of those things. Christ is the source of all wisdom. Colossians 2.3 Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want wisdom uh, to number your days wisely, look to Jesus. Read His Word. Study His Word. Live as He calls you to live. Also, mercy from God is found in Jesus. 
God's Son. Titus 3 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of works which we have done in righteousness, but on the basis of His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I love that song that we sang this morning. His mercy is more. One, one, of, my, one of my favorites. So that's a good reminder we need to reflect upon that. But the mercy of God, it is not earned. It is given to us. It is blessed upon us through His Son. If you want mercy from God, you've got to go to Christ. That's what we studied a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through Him. Moses also prayed for satisfaction. And Jesus is the one who is truly able to satisfy no one and nothing else. I love the Apostle Paul's uh, proclamation in Philippians 3. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So just like Solomon in the Old Testament, who went through all of these things and realized none of them satisfied him. They were all fleeting. They were all vanity. The Apostle Paul, who had attained so much in Judaism, reached the pinnacle. All of those things, he said, all of that is rubbish. I, I, I put all of that away so that I may pursue Christ. And he says, I count all of those things uh, that were gained to me. Like that, That's all of that. Do away with it. And it's gained that I may pursue Christ and to know Him and the power of His resurrection. When we are satisfied in Christ, uh, we are willing to lose everything for Him. And we are still able to be satisfied. And that we, we can lose everything in life and still find joy and satisfaction in Him. Fourth prayer of Moses here, that, that prayer for, for meaning and purpose. That prayer to establish the work of our hands. Christ is the one who gives meaning beyond ourselves. He's the one who uh, cements us into a, a bigger picture, a bigger narrative of all of human existence. Uh, and his life, death, and resurrection uh, leads us to eternal life. So that what we can do in this life echoes in eternity. If I can steal a quote from the movie Gladiator. But in Christ, we have that meaning and purpose. But we know what we ought to do. We know what... God is calling us to. We know why we are here. We know who we are. And without that, we are, we are floating rudderless on the ocean. Again, that's what, that's what the world longs to do. To remove us from uh, the bigger picture of human history. Uh, to say only the present matters. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Just live here in the moment. That doesn't provide any satisfaction. It provides no purpose. And ultimately, it leads to, to misery. There's numerous studies right now. All of the material blessings and all the, the material possessions that we have here in our culture, well, we know prosperity on a scale that no one else in human history ever has. And yet our culture right now is the most uh, sad, depressed, and lonely culture that the world has ever known. In this psalm, we see Moses reflecting upon the brevity of life 
And after thinking deeply, he, he prays to God based upon his reflections. And, and the conclusions that he comes to are, are made plain in his prayers. Salvation, wisdom, mercy, satisfaction, meaning all of these are found in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. These are the things we ought to pray for and to pursue. I love what the, the missionary C.T. Studd said. Very simple quote. There's only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Love that quote. But the Apostle Paul frames it in another way. 1 Corinthians 3 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Moses' psalm here uh, is reflecting upon that same reality. We are going to be saved by grace through faith in Christ, and our salvation is secure. But are we living wisely? Now, have we numbered our days well, focusing on the eternal God, His purposes, His plans, or are we focusing upon our own fleeting desires? which are here today and gone tomorrow. To quote, and to close with one more quote from Charles Spurgeon, says, We come and go, but the Lord's work abides. We are content to die so long as Jesus lives and His kingdom grows. Since the Lord abides forever, uh, the same, uh, we trust our work in His hands and feel that since it is far more His work than ours, He will secure it immortally. When we have withered like grass, our holy service, like gold, silver, and precious stones, will survive the fire. But we have to reflect upon what is it that we are building with? What are we doing with our life? Will it survive the fire? Will we have anything to present to God uh, that we used our time wisely in this life? May we invest our, our time, our talents, our treasures, and all of those things that will matter for eternity. And may our labors uh, persevere through that fire so that we will be able to offer to God a heart of wisdom. Amen.